This is Schooled in AI, a search CIO podcast about artificial intelligence and academia. In this series, professors at Carnegie Mellon University's School of Computer Science talk about the cutting-edge AI technology they're working on and how CIOs can prepare for the future of AI in the enterprise. Hey, I'm Nicole Laskowski, and this is Schooled in AI. So we've all had a less than desirable interaction with the user interface, and you know it can it can kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth. I was reading a column um, in a publication called Usability Geek that that put it this way: a bad UI is equivalent to a cranky receptionist. And the reality is, as so much of what we do becomes appified, the UI is taking on a prominent role for developers, but also for employers and for employees, because. Let's go back to that cranky receptionist analogy for a second. If you're dealing with a cranky receptionist, it could affect the quality of your work and it could affect your mood. And that's where researchers like Chris Harrison come in. He's a computer scientist and the director of the Future Interfaces Group at Carnegie Mellon University. And Harrison and his team are on a mission to find new ways for humans and machines to interact. What I research is human-computer interaction, so not just designing computers that crash less or are faster or databases that are more robust, but actually directly improving that human interface between the computer and the user and making it not only more efficient but also enjoyable and delightful and all the other things that we associate with modern technology. Harrison called UI a complex landscape because it includes everything from the QWERTY keyboard, which is more than 125 years old, to newcomers like augmented reality headsets that layer digital information onto the physical environment. For his part, Harrison and his team are experimenting with artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, and rapid prototyping to develop new, way-outside-the-box approaches to UI. Take a project called SkinPut. So this is a project that projects a screen onto the body. It uses the skin as an input surface. And the reason we went down that pathway is we wanted to have fluid interactive experiences on the go that weren't marred by a really small user interface. Like, for instance, the screen on smartwatches, he said. The smartwatch is a powerful computer, but its small screen means a user's interactions with the device, they tend to be pretty simplistic. And so the idea of moving on to the skin was to provide people this big interactive canvas as a playground, but keep the device small. So SkinPut and another project called OmniTouch, which projects screens onto tables or notebooks or a user's hand or arm, these aren't just attempts to recast the relationship between a computer's size and its interactive capabilities. They are also attempts to redefine mobile computing. For example, when you're in a conference room and you want to share a document with the person sitting next to you, what do you usually do? You email it, which might go through a server. You know, even though they're sitting four feet across from you, you might have to send it through an email server you know, in Europe or China or something. Why not turn that conference table into an interactive surface where files can be shared, amended, moved around? Harrison called it a missed opportunity that he and his team are currently trying to solve. Computing is small today. It can be incredibly small. It can, you, know, you can have a computer you know, in an inexpensive tag that you're putting on your food or woven into your clothes. So we know that computers are small, but what we can't let get small because of human factors, not computing factors, is the size of the interface. So we need to look at clever ways to provide big interactive experiences irrespective of the size of the computer. For the last three years, artificial intelligence, especially machine learning, has become 
a foundational set of technologies that Harrison is incorporating into his research. And that's because humans and machine learning are a very natural pairing. Signals from humans are inherently ambiguous. You know, am I, when, I, when I make a gesture in my living room, is that for my smart TV to turn on or my stereo to play, or am I just gesturing you know, as part of a, a conversation you know, with my family? It's ambiguous. So humans can do a good job of resolving the ambiguity. They rely on social cues. They rely on context. But devices don't have that kind of social awareness. And so the way we take kind of lossy, ambiguous, messy human inputs and make a pretty good prediction about them is to apply techniques like machine learning and AI. So this scenario of using technology to make a room interactive or smart, to, to be able to gesture at a smart TV and have it turn on, it relies heavily on the Internet of Things. IoT sensors, which can be embedded into conference rooms or office equipment or kitchen appliances, they are the backbone for turning something analog into something digital and turning something digital into something interactive. And while IoT and AI are distinct fields for Harrison... They're sort of like a big Venn diagram where all these different things interact. And so a lot of the research that we're doing in my lab you know, uses machine learning and AI to resolve that ambiguity. But ultimately, the domain is something like IoT and smart environments because we ultimately want to improve the human experience in those environments. If it doesn't do that, then why are you building the technology? The combo of the two is the basis for a project Harrison's team developed called the Synthetic Sensor. It's a Wi-Fi-enabled sensor board that fits in the palm of your hand. It can be plugged into any wall socket. And it's made up of the most common sensors that you'd find in academic or commercial settings that track environmental conditions. I basically absorb all this data, so vibrations and sound and light and humidity, and, and there's about 19 different sensor channels that we, that we capture, uh, and people can read about this uh, in the published paper, which is freely available online. And we interpret those signals using machine learning, and we, make, uh, and we extrapolate what we call the synthetic sensor, where even though we have no, let's say you want to make a, a sensor that knows when your coffee is ready or when the dishwasher is done or when the laundry machine has finished its you know, spin cycle, you could build a sensor that was just there to detect the, you know, when spin cycle is complete. But instead what we do is we take this collection, sort of a bag of sensors approach that has no one-to-one -one mapping, but out of the board pops out this, oh, your spin cycle is completed, or oh, your dishwasher is running. So rather than replacing an analog kitchen appliance with its smarter counterpart, or, you know, the alternative is to affix these sensor tags like LG SmartThink, um, onto appliances in order to make them Wi-Fi enabled, all you'd have to do is take the sensor board, plug it into a wall socket, and then that sensor board would collect data about the entire room. And then machine learning is applied to the problem. It looks for these unique signifiers that can help distinguish between a dripping faucet, for example, and a running dishwasher. And the user doesn't see any of this raw data. Instead, it sees the synthetic sensor output, which says something like, the dishwasher is running. But it's all been virtualized. So all the developer and all the end user has to do is say, oh, I can go into my you know, Google Now or ask Siri, hey, when will my dishwasher be done? Or is the dishwasher done? And it will answer that by drawing on that sensor feed. But the sensor feed is entirely virtualized through techniques like machine learning and AI. User interfaces like synthetic sensors are developed by rapid prototyping. And this means building, and this is how Harrison put it, the crudest possible experience that encapsulates the vision. So Harrison and his team can put the cheap prototype in front of people, get their feedback, and then iterate on the design. 
in our field where humans have to touch and interact and experience the technology, the feel of a device and the feel of an experience is so important. It'd be like going to people back in 2006 and showing them an iPhone-like interface but on a laptop. That wasn't what made something like the iPhone a really special device. By moving quickly, Harrison and his team can quickly figure out what ideas are and what ideas aren't worth pursuing. And this is critical for researchers who are trying to sketch out what the future may look like and who are trying to define the cutting edge of a field that has become increasingly popular. A lot of corporate research labs and even non-research labs are, are innovating in our space. Obviously, human-computer interaction and interactive technologies is not limited to academia. That may have been true 30, 40 years ago when you know, most people didn't have computers, but now everyone is an inventor, even if you're not even at a company. Just hobbyists are doing amazing things with technology, which is amazing. But it means that everyone's moving fast, and we need to move equally fast as well if we're going to be uh, you know, part of the innovative uh, cycle that relates to interaction. Much of Harrison and his team's research, it's still in a prototype kind of phase. So maybe don't get your hopes up about SkinPut just yet. But enterprises and CIOs, they should be paying attention to the thinking behind AI and machine learning propelled interfaces like SkinPut and like synthetic sensors. Well, ultimately, what enterprise I think really cares about is is efficiency of their workers. You want to give your uh, employees the tools to do their jobs as efficiently and as pleasantly as possible. And if you disregard the human interface, then actually, which is probably the biggest part of the equation, then you're not going to necessarily be the most efficient enterprise or even have you know, happy employees. One important thing to note is that while voice has come on the scene as a powerful way of interacting with a machine, Harrison said the future of the UI, it isn't going to be dictated by voice or even by touch alone. I think what you'll see is, is a divergence of ways to interact with technologies that play to different strengths. There's a reason, you know, as I just mentioned on your last question, why we have certain things that have stuck around for a really long time, like keyboards. So voice is really good for things like questions and commands, you know, where's the closest pizza or turn on my smart TV. But it's really bad for things that require creation. Like if I wanted to put together a PowerPoint presentation or edit a spreadsheet, even if I, was look, even if I had a screen, It'd be incredibly frustrating to do that by voice. Instead, the way employees interact with the machine, it's going to be dictated by the task they need to get done. And so what I think will happen in kind of future computing interfaces is we'll see an increasing blend of different modalities, what's called multimodal input. And it'll play to the different strengths. And the reality is this is already playing out today. I mean, there's a reason why... We carry around laptops and tablets, smartphones and smartwatches that we use all of these things sort of interchangeably. It's because we know that one device is better at certain tasks than the others. So it's not that it, you know, when the smartphone arrived, it replaced all other forms of computing. Merely it added to the ecosystem. And interaction techniques, I think, are going to be very similar and have been similar. They're additive, and they slowly sort of the, the share, the relative share, changes over time. But isn't that one thing is supremely better than the other and everything else will die. Next time on Schooled in AI. Human-human social interaction greases the wheels of task interaction. It facilitates the work we do with other people. I'll be talking with Justine Cassell about building socially aware artificial intelligence.